Oh, there we go. Thank you. I always tell the lemmings, it's, you know, this is more like family to me because JD's my best friend and I've always felt like the lemmings are family. So this is, this is like my church away from home uh, and I love coming here and I always appreciate your kindness and your support uh, that I see every month as well. Uh, if this is your first time coming out and your first time interacting with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry, I'm so thankful that you're here. Um, uh, I, I won't go into the details about our founding, but I will say this. Uh, the Friends of Israel loves the Jewish people because God loves the Jewish people. And the Friends of Israel loves Israel because God loves Israel. That doesn't mean we don't love the Palestinians. People come up to me all the time. They go, oh, you're Friends of Israel. You must hate the Palestinians. No, not at all. We love the Palestinians. We love them. But you know, God said to Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so God has a special, he does have a special place in his heart for his people. And they are wrapped up in not only what happened in the past in the Bible, and not only what's happening in the present, but also what will happen in the future. Your future when it comes to God, when it comes to heaven, when it, become, when it comes to eternal life, as we talk about eternal life from John 3, 16, it's actually wrapped up, all of it, in Israel's uh, reconciliation and salvation to God. Just read Romans 9 through 11. I challenge you, just read Romans 9 through 11, and you're going to see how Paul is connecting you to what God is going to do for Israel as a whole. You're bound up into it. And that's amazing because God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families of the earth would be blessed. How many people here have been blessed by Jesus the Messiah? Okay, how many here, have to, you have to understand something, Jesus is Jewish. Did you know that? <laughs> he lived in Israel. He went to a synagogue. He didn't celebrate Christmas and Easter. That would be awkward, okay? He celebrated Hanukkah. Hanukkah, you want to talk about talking about independence and nationhood. You know Hanukkah, which is celebrated around the same time as Christmas. Hanukkah is all about celebrating God's providence in establishing a sovereign Jewish state. It, it happened that a small band of Jewish rebels fought against the big, giant, Gentile Greek empire that wanted the Jews to assimilate into their culture. And one man stood up, one man, a man named uh, Mattathias, stood up, an old elderly priest, and the, the uh, Greek said, sacrifice a pig in honor of the Greek king and, and, and assimilate. And he said, never. I would rather die a zealous man for God's commandments and laws according to the scriptures than to ever sacrifice a pig and pay any allegiance to a Greek king. And he ends up killing the people around him, runs into the hills, a band of people form, and they push back, an, a small group of people push back an entire Greek army and they establish the second commonwealth of the Jewish people. There's only been three commonwealths in Israel. The one that goes back to King David, King Solomon, and then the next commonwealth happens at that moment with Hanukkah, and then the third commonwealth of Israel, 1948. There's only been three. But when Jesus walks in and is celebrating Hanukkah in John chapter 10, do you know what all the Jewish people are celebrating? Nationhood, independence, sovereignty. Just like they did in 1948. Just like they did in the days of David. It's all bound together. 
So I want to read something. If you want to go to your Bible, you can go to Joel chapter 3. And as you're going there, I want to share, uh, uh, let's see, this. You know, I love that you all are so kind to me to let me come and speak and teach. But we, you can take the teaching of the Friends of Israel with you. We run these free classes at foiequip.org. foiequip.org. Go there on your phone now and sign up. You see there's a little sign up button and you can get on our mailing list. I promise we don't bombard you with emails. Um, and we, we just let you know what upcoming classes are coming. Uh, next month, we just had Sarit Katz from Camera who did a class on does Israel control the media? And she works with Camera, which looks at media and media biases against Israel. That was very fascinating. She's a Jewish person, not a believer. Uh, next, week we, uh, next month, we have Ty Perry, who's a representative of Friends of Israel, who'll be teaching on Ezekiel 37, the dry bones coming back to life. Uh, and then in March, I love this, have you ever heard of Dr. Randall Price? He's a leading archaeologist. He's an evangelical Christian, a Bible-believing Christian. And we got him to come in and do an entire class one evening, Thursday night. They're just one night. They're about an hour long. Um, uh, and he's going to be teaching about how archaeology helps to prove the reliability of the Bible that you read. And so if you want to be a part of these classes, uh, and maybe you just sign up, you get the link so that you can watch it later on. It's a Zoom class. It's low-key. Look, it's sometimes I'm teaching and I see a lady making spaghetti, you know, while she's doing the class. Hey, whatever. Just show up with clothes on. That's all I ask, okay? <laughs> There's a reason for that, okay? So you can start your journey today. You can go there and sign up for classes, and I hope that you come. We have people uh, that we had more than 6,000 people register for classes last year. And um, it's amazing to see people from Australia logging on in the morning to watch as we're doing the classes at night and people staying up till 2.30 in the morning in the UK and down in South America. People are tuning in from all over. So I'd like to see more people from Western Virginia, if you don't mind, okay? Uh, Joel chapter three, talking about the last days, the prophet Joel, look at what he says here. And I, I, we have to kind of get our mind in the right place as we're about to enter into this discussion about Israel and Hamas. Because here's the thing. Um, everybody's getting their information about Israel, Hamas, through the media. Um, we're going to talk about the media. Uh, but I also want to say this. We have to know what the media is saying, but at the same time, we don't want to look at media and then read Scripture. We want to read Scripture and then look at media. We want to look at what's going on in Israel from a biblical worldview. I'm not going to lie, there are sometimes I disagree with Israel based on what the scriptures say. That's okay. It's a secular country. It doesn't mean it doesn't matter to God at all, but we have to be, and, and the other, flip the other way around, we have to be able to look at what's going on in Israel from a biblical worldview, and that's why it's important to first place ourselves. Look what it says here in Joel chapter 3, starting in verse 1, in those days at that time, talking about the future, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, which I think is something that you're seeing taking place right now. Do you all know, I mean, this should blow your mind. Uh, the state of Israel has only been in existence for 75 years. The vast majority of Jewish people 75 years ago, 80 years ago, they lived in Eastern Europe in Poland. There were some 3 million Jewish people that lived in Poland and Eastern Europe. Uh, Today, in just 75, 80 years, today there are two main centers of Jewish people. 
Israel, which didn't even exist 80 years ago, is now the largest place of a Jewish population in the world. Just think about that. When you think about migration, all of that, that is the, Israel, for a long time, it wasn't. But Israel has grown to a point where it has the largest Jewish population in the world in just 80 some odd years, 75 years. America, along the eastern seaboard, along the northeast, is the second largest. And then, of course, you have L.A., and then you have pockets, small pockets. There's barely a Jewish community in Europe anymore, barely, where there used to be a thriving Jewish community in France, in Germany, uh, in the U.K. Now we're talking about the hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jewish people. Uh, They are all migrating, and they're even migrating today. If you talk to French-speaking Jewish people who live in France, they've got property in Israel. Why? Because of anti-Semitism. We'll talk about that later. But I just wanted to give you a context. In just 80 years, the migration of Jewish people has moved to either America or Israel. And there's few scattered in Canada, Europe, down in South America. Um, But that's really important to think about. Because what's God say here? When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, we're seeing those fortunes restored. I will gather, now watch this, I will gather all nations, that's us, and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. That is the Hebrew word for judgment. I will bring them down to the valley of judgment. And when y'all come to Israel with me, because I promise it will open up again and it will be safe, I promise, 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 uh, remember, they went back, everyone, tourism came back after 1967, tourism came back after 1973, tourism came back after the Lebanon War, tourism will come back again, and you'll come with me, and I'll take you to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. It's called the Kidron Valley that sits on the east side of the Temple Mount. And look at the nations will be gathered there, and there, God says, I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance. Who's his, excuse me, who's your inheritance? It's Israel. The Jewish people the nation of Israel, the land and the people, remember this, cannot be separated. The land and the people cannot be separated. Even though God will separate them and bring them back and separate them and bring them back, they are a magnet. They're meant to be together. Okay? And so look, he says, I will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. There I will put them on trial for what they did to my inheritance, my people Israel, because they scattered my people among the nations. And divided up my land. They cast lots for my people and traded boys for prostitutes to sold uh, girls for drinks to wine. And it goes on and on and on. But what's it saying? The nations, and Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 25 when he brings the sheep and the goat judgments. He's separating the nations, the ones who loved Israel and the Jewish people, took care of them in their time of need, and those that turned a blind eye or actually persecuted them. There will be judgment. So we have to set ourselves. America, I believe, is not in the Bible. Do you know why? We're a nation. We're an empire that rises, and guess what? Falls. Just, it's going to happen. Do you know why? You're not in here. America's not in here. America is not in here. We're a nation, and we're a nation who needs to love Israel and the Jewish people. And that is something that's really important to see. I would much rather, we're all going to go into the valley of Jehoshaphat, but it's whether or not we loved his people 
or hated his people. That is something that's really important. Notice what's at the centerpiece. Again, Jesus will pick up on this. Paul will pick up on this. So place yourself, especially as you're reading the scriptures and you're understanding what's going on in, in world events. So let's talk about, I'm going to skip over. Oh, am I breaking this thing already? Yes. All right, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go right to the history of Gaza. Oh, did I break it, Josh? There we go. Good. I want to go to the history of Gaza really quick. Gaza is an incredibly strategic location in, in the world. Most people don't realize this. Uh, Gaza, I'm going to come over to the big map here. Over here is Egypt. Up there is Israel. Here is Israel. And then up there is Lebanon, and there is Syria, and Iraq is up there, and Iran. But in the ancient day, if you wanted to get anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world, you had to go through Israel. That's why God chose Israel. Did you know that? God chose Israel. He didn't just spin the globe. Oh, I'm going to put my people here, you know. And Abraham's like, here, what? what? You know, Hawaii would have been nice. God, thank you. He didn't just randomly choose Israel. See, the world wanted Israel. Egypt wanted Israel. Uh, uh, we're talking about in biblical days. Egypt wanted Israel. They fought over this plot of land because economically, it's a toll road. It's just a thin plot of land. This is desert. You have to go up that way or you die if you go that way. So you had to follow this ancient highway system. So it narrowed. And if you control the narrow road, you control international trade. It, that one area, Israel, actually is the connector of the African continent, the European continent, and the Asian continent. All in that one section. So the world looked at that spot and said, oh, there's a lot of money to be made there. God looked at that spot and said, what? There's a lot of people who can get saved through that space. Why? Because God didn't send missionaries out from Israel. God said, Israel, obey me, and I will bring the world to you. They're going to walk right through. You're going to interact with them on a daily basis because there are caravans that are going back and forth all day long. It's the ancient internet, and they carry what they see wherever they go from town to town to town to town. They're going to see you living out the law, and they're going to ask who your God is, and then you're going to, they're going to carry that into all the world. Isn't that amazing? Now, here's what's awesome is that Gaza was a major point on that highway system. There it is right there. It's actually one of the most beautiful locations uh, in, in the Mediterranean Sea. It's uh, all white sandy beaches. You know, when they gave it over to the Palestinians, we'll talk about that in 2005, it could have become, if it was managed properly, the Singapore of the Middle East because of the beauty, the beauty and the location. Look at the strategic location of Gaza. It sits right on Egypt's border. It sits right on Israel's border. It, there is so much potential there. So it's important to understand the history of it as we look through it. Today, this is, well, you know, we'll come back to today later. I just want to share really quick. God gave Gaza uh, to the Israelites when they came in. Samson was in Gaza. If you remember, he said, let me die with the Philistines because of all the things that he was doing. Uh, King David and Solomon took Gaza in the 11th century BC. But then all of these kingdoms take control of it. They want that land. The Assyrians took it, the Persians took it, the Greeks took it, the Hasmoneans, which are Jewish, they took it. The Romans took it back during the days of Jesus. The Muslim control happens between 634 through 1917. Then the British take control of it between 1917 and 1948. Then the Egyptians take control of it. 
Wait, the Egyptians? What do they have to do with this? In 1948, when Israel declared its independence, because you know who gave Israel the permission to start a state? The world did. The world said, Jewish people, you can start a state in your ancient homeland. And you have to live side by side with Palestinians. And you know what happened? The, the Israelis said, that's a great deal. We'll take it. It's the original two-state solution. The Jewish people said yes in 1948, in 1947. Do you know who said no? The Palestinians. In 1947 was the original partition plan, the original two-state solution. The Jewish people said yes. Remember this. This is important when you talk to your friends. In 1947... The Jewish people said yes to living side by side with a sovereign Palestinian state. And actually, they would have received, I'll go back to this picture now, they would have received, let's see if I can go back one more. Uh, yeah, this is what the state would have looked like, maybe a little bit more, back in 1947 if the Palestinians said, deal, we'll take it. They would have had control of this area, even a little bit bigger, and Gaza. And the Jewish people would have had all of the desert and that sliver of land up there that goes up north. That's it. We would not be talking about this if they would have just said yes in 1947. The original two-state solution, the Palestinians said nope, and the Arab world said nope. And in 1948, when Israel declared its independence, do you know what happened? Five Arab nations attacked them. Five Arab nations. Egypt was not one of them. And after the war ended about a year later, Egypt takes control of Gaza. Egypt takes control. What does Egypt have to do with that? That's what happened. No one ever said Egypt's occupying the Gaza. That wasn't for Egypt. No one ever complained until, let me go back to my map here or my slides. Oh, too far. And not until the Israelis take control of it again because of the 1967 war. In the 1967 war, Egypt attacks. Israel pushes Egypt down to the Sinai. In fact, Israel takes the entire Sinai Peninsula. They take the Gaza Strip. Over time, they return the Sinai. And you know what the Egyptians say? We don't want the Gaza anymore. We don't want it. So this is really important. This is really important. And then finally, think about this. In 2005, without any negotiations, without bringing in the United States, without bringing in the Europeans, the prime minister of, of Israel, his name was Ariel Sharon, he comes in and says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to give Gaza to the Palestinians. And we're not going to even, we're not even going to talk, no negotiations. We're just going to give it to them. We're going to yank every Jewish person out of Gaza. We're going to yank everything Jewish out and we're going to give it to them. Okay? The people hated the idea. But this is how we got where we are. Because in 2005, the prime minister of Israel said, I'm giving you that land. Why? Because I want to see, the Israelis want to see, can you build a state? Can you? Do you have the capacity, Palestinians, to build a state for yourself? This is your, this is your, 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 your sandbox to test everything out. Let's see if you can do it. By 2006, all of the Israelis are out. It's under complete, under complete Palestinian control. Now, let me tell you something that's fascinating. In the 2016 election, 
I remember people coming up to me and saying, tell me something, Trump or Hillary on Israel? I said, either one. No, Hillary will be horrible. I said, no, she won't. They, I would get booed. You might even boo me. Do you know why? Because she's been burned. Her husband was burned. See, the Palestinians had a state. They, it was there. In 2000, Bill Clinton worked overtime, sweating bullets to get the Israelis and Palestinians to sit down and to create a Palestinian state. The Israelis were on board. It was going to happen. I remember this. It was going to happen in 2000. Yasser Arafat is sitting at the table, if you remember that name. He was the leader of the Palestinian people. And there is, is, uh, is his name was Ehud Barak. He was the prime minister of Israel at that time. And there's Bill Clinton in the middle. This is the moment everyone's been waiting for. And then in the, in the, uh, at the last hour, just as things were just wrapping up, Bill Clinton gets a phone call from Yasser Arafat. Deal's off. Deal's off. Deal's not off. Deal is off. We're not doing it. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you the state you want. I'm giving you the West Bank. I've worked over it. What are you talking about? Deal's off. Bill Clinton was burned. He was burned. And you know what? You can hear it. If you ever listen to Hillary Clinton talk about Israel, you can hear it in her voice. There, you should watch a Jon Stewart episode of her talking about what happened in Gaza in 2005. She tells you the truth. Now, I'm not saying go vote for her. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when it comes to Israel, she knows what's going on because she's been burned. There's a great Israeli diplomat, Abba Ibn, who says the Palestinians never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. It's, it's the perfect line. They turned down peace negotiations. They turned down a two-state solution in 1947, the original one. In 1967, after the Six-Day War, Israel wanted to take all the land they captured and use it as, as leverage for building peace with their neighbors. They turned it down. In fact, they went to Khartoum, Sudan in 1967, 1968, and all the Arab nations said three no's. No to recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel, and we're not talking with Israel. No, no, no. Okay, fine. No one wants to talk with Israel in the Arab world. That was in the 60s. Then in 2000, again, the Israelis offered the Palestinians a state? No. Then in 2008, another prime minister of Israel draws out and says, I'll give you almost 95% of what you want. 95%. His name was Ehud Omar, the prime minister of Israel. And you know what the Palestinians said? No. Do you know why we are where we are where the October 7th happened? We are where we are because this isn't about land. Listen, it's not about land. I'm telling you, over and over and over and over and over and over, the Israelis have offered a state to the Palestinians. They say no. They say no. So what is it about then? Why are we here? Because see, it's not about it's not about land. It's actually about Jews. It's about Jews. It's about the fact that there is no way under God's green earth, or in their mind, Allah's green earth, <coughs> that they would ever live side by side with Jews in the land. It's Jews. Go ask a Palestinian who lives in the West Bank 
or the Gaza Strip and say, excuse me, can I ask a question? How many in your population are Jewish people? Zero. Zero. Go to an Israeli and say, let me ask you a question. How many Arab Muslims and Arab Christians live in your country? To the Jewish Israeli, about 25%. 25% of Israel's population are Arab Muslim or Arab Christian. Think about that. And yet the world, you've probably heard this before, calls Israel an apartheid state. Wait, I'm, I'm confused. In Gaza, there's zero Jews. And in Israel, 25%, the minority, are Arab Muslims and Christians and other religions as well. And they're the apartheid state. See, it's not about the land. It's about Jews. It's ingrained in their culture. And I mean this. And people in America have a hard time. It can't be. We're so to the Americans are tolerant people. And it hurts their brains when they have to think about the fact that other people could be so really ugly and racist. But I really mean this. In, in these countries like Egypt and Jordan and these Middle Eastern countries, there is a genuine hatred for the Jewish people. One time I heard an Egyptian graduate from uh, Bar Ilan University in Tel Aviv. This Egyptian kid got a scholarship to Bar Ilan University in Tel Aviv, one of the high-ranking universities in Israel. And he became their valedictorian. And he was there in Israel for four years studying as an Egyptian on this scholarship. And because he was the valedictorian, he had a chance to speak. And you know what he did? He got up and he said, I grew up turning on my radio and hearing about how Jews are pigs. I got up and would go to the mosque with my parents and would hear these most anti-Semitic statements and these tropes and how bad Jews are. Jews are the problem and Zionists and this and that. And then I come here to Israel and I don't get it because none of it's true. See, there are, even in Egypt, which you might even consider a more moderate state in the Middle East, even they're raising kids and singing songs that are incredibly anti-Semitic. It's not just in Palestine or in, in West Bank or Gaza. It really is embedded in the culture. And it's a sad, sad thing to see because it's not about the land. It's about the Jews. That's really, really bad. And so this is what ends up happening is that the Israelis give control for the Palestinians to build a state. And do you know what they did? Can I say this too? In 2005, when they ripped all the Jewish people out of the land, that in the 40 years that the Israelis had control of Gaza between 67 and 2005, the Israelis built a huge horticultural society, uh, uh, market in Gaza. Huge, multi, multi, hundreds of millions of dollars. Import, export. And what they were going to do, think about this, the Israelis were going to train the Palestinians. They were giving them their greenhouses. They were giving them these things. Here, we're going to give you an income. And you know what they did? They burned them. They burned them to the ground. Why? It's Jews. They burned them to the ground. And then all of a sudden, all of those places became rocket launching pads to send rockets into Israel. That's how we are where we are. That is the reason that Israel has a huge checkpoint around Gaza, because all of a sudden this issue popped up where 
we have different control. Let me come back here really quick to maybe bring some clarity when you read the newspaper. You have two Palestinian rule, uh, double rule right now. You have West Bank and the capital. It's not a capital, but their, their legislation is in Ramallah up there. And uh, Palestinian people live in sections of the West Bank here. And you have Palestinians that live down in Gaza here. Now, in 2006, the Palestinians held their very first election. And I'm going to tell you something. The world was so excited. Palestinians, elections, they're free people. George W. Bush excited everybody, you know, is very excited about this thing. And they thought that the moderate would win. And now they can link, because since the Palestinians have control of Gaza completely, they can link West Bank with Gaza. So whoever controls and has power, the party in power in Ramallah, will control here, down in Gaza. One Palestinian entity. In 2006, they had elections. And you know who won? Hamas. The Palestinian people in the West Bank and in Gaza voted for Hamas. The more moderate party, it, honestly, George W. Bush, I think he thought, what did we do? So what happens? The moderate party who was in power at that time, it was called the Fatah party, it had the Hamas party and the Fatah party, the Fatah president, he goes like this. You ready? Um, here's an edict, everybody. That's never good. Here's an edict. I will stay your president even though Hamas wins. Uh, you think that's going to go over well with the electorate out there that just voted for Hamas? It created a civil war. In fact, it's the same president that you see in the newspapers today. His name is Mahmoud Abbas. There has not been elections in, in, in among the Palestinians since 2006. Do you know why? Because they're scared to death that Hamas will win again. As a result of him saying, edict everybody, I'll be your king forever. Guess what happens? A civil war breaks out. And there's a lot of fighting among the Palestinians. And he ends up taking the West Bank and Hamas, who won the elections fairly, takes control of Gaza. So when you hear about Hamas in Gaza, they didn't fight their way into this, people. When you think about terrorists, they didn't fight their way into power. They were elected into power. Remember that when you read the newspaper. Because what they try to tell you in the newspaper is this. Oh, the Palestinian people don't agree with Hamas. Uh, that's a lie. That's a flat-out lie. There might be some outliers, but they elected them. Do you know how they see Hamas? Hamas to them is their government. Hamas to them, the Palestinians living in, in Gaza, Hamas to them are the ones who are supposed to repair the roads. Hamas to them are the ones who are supposed to supply jobs. Hamas to them are not terrorists. It's their government and their military. You see, it's a mentality. And so for them in Gaza, you have two, even to this very day, you have the same old president everybody hates in the West Bank, Mahmoud Abbas. They all hate him. They don't trust him. He's 80 some odd years old and he's not going anywhere. The world doesn't want him to go anywhere. Israel doesn't want him to go anywhere. Do you know why? Because if he leaves and they have elections, not only do you have Hamas here now, but guess where else you have Hamas? Right here. And look what's right in the middle of it all. Now you've got Jerusalem, which is Israel's capital, and it would be surrounded by Hamas. Oh, this is a big problem, people. 
And so this all happened in 2006, 2007. And since then, I think more than 30,000 rockets have been fired from Gaza into Israel. I want you to imagine on a daily basis, rockets are getting launched from Gaza. And when they first started launching them in 2006, 2007, they were only small enough. They might go into surrounding cities down here, little kibbutzim, and they would hit farmland. But see, the problem is over the years, as Iran is all the way up there funding this thing, they send down more technology. They send down rockets that can go further. Now, all of a sudden, the rockets 15 years later can leave Gaza and hit Jerusalem. The rockets can leave Gaza and hit Tel Aviv. Now, see, when you're launching a rocket from here into these areas, you're probably going to hit farmland. But see, when you launch rockets from here into Tel Aviv, you will kill somebody. It's so dense. It's New York City. That's New York City. This is New York City. As long as you get a rocket there, you'll do damage. And so the rocket technology has gotten better for them. And so this becomes a problem again for the Israelis. And that's how we end up where we are. Now you might say, well, how did we end up with October 7th? How did this happen? Can I tell you something? The world let this happen. See, for many, many years, maybe you've read in the newspaper, Gaza, the Palestinians were always launching rockets. Every day, ro rockets. And it would only get to a point where they would start launching a bunch that Israel would respond and do an operation in the Gaza Strip. And you know what would happen? As they start to go in, Israel would start to go in to take care of the rocket launching pads and to take care of Hamas agents and all this terrorists, all these things. You know what happens? All of a sudden, Bibi Netanyahu or some prime minister gets a phone call from who? The UN or from the United States. Hey, Bibi, why don't we calm it down? Why don't, why don't we pull back a little bit? Okay. They pull back, they make a ceasefire, and then things calm down. That doesn't mean the rockets stopped. They kept coming. One here, one there. But the, but the media didn't show you that. The media only turns on when Israel goes in. I think there were about eight operations in the course of 15 years. And every time they would begin to go in... President so-and-so is on the phone, baby. Uh, let's tone it down. UN General Secretary is on the phone. Uh, let's tone it down. Let's pull them out. Let's not make this a big deal. Ceasefire agreements and things calm down. That doesn't mean the terrorism stopped. They kept launching rockets. So how did we end up with October 7th? A brutal massacre of 1,400 Israelis. It's because the world let Hamas uh, 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 grow. The world is the one who created Hamas in this pocket here. The world is the one that prevented Israel from taking care of Hamas a long, long, long time ago. And so what's happened? It's boiled over. And now what you end up with, with Gaza, you end up in a situation where we have, the world has let this happen. Israel has always wanted to deal with Hamas. And now as a result of October 7th, the war that you're seeing, the fact that it's continuing on and continuing on, it's because they have to deal with Hamas once and for all. They cannot let, trust me, I just read an article here on my way in, and I almost laughed out loud. Actually, I was laughing in the car. Um, if I can get it, let me see if I can get it up here. Here we go. This is the Times of Israel. The U.S., Egypt, and Qatar are pushing Israel and Hamas 
to accept a comprehensive plan that would end the war, see the release of hostages held in Gaza, watch this, and ultimately to a full normalization for Israel with its neighbors and talks for the establishment of a Palestinian state. People, every Israeli is laughing at that. Every Israeli is going, a Palestinian state? You mean the people who just came in and butchered our people? We're going to all of a sudden shake hands and act like everything's okay? No way. The two-state solution, it's dead. It's dead. Let's stop going back to that world. It's dead. The, palace, the Israelis up until the early 2000s, 60% of Israelis were game for a two-state solution. You had support for Palestinian sovereignty in the early 2000s, even in the mid-2000s. 60% of Israelis. Since October 7th, only one-third of Israelis. Two-thirds say, no way, we're done. We're done with this. October 7th changed everything. Two-state solution, gone. It's dead. So let me share something with you really quick. Uh, we'll, we'll move on here. Um, I think I explained how, let me see. This is the Hamas charter. This is what I'm talking about when it comes to the fact that it's not about the land, it's about Jews. I want you to hear what Hamas has in their, it's their constitution. You know, we have our constitution. This is their constitution. This is what they formed their party around. And this was written in 1988. Listen to what it says. Moreover, if the links have been distant from each other, uh, and, uh, and each other and if obstacles placed by those who are the lackeys of Zionism, that's the people who love, believe that Jewish people deserve to live in their land, in a way of the fighters obstructed the continuation of the struggle, the Islamic resistance movement, that's Hamas, aspires to the realization of Allah's promise no matter how long that should take, the prophet Allah, bless him and grant him salvation, has said this. The day of judgment will not come about until Muslims fight the Jews, killing the Jews. When the Jew will hide behind stones and trees. The stones and trees will say, O Muslims, O Abdullah, there is a Jew behind me. Come and kill him. That's their constitution. Now think about this. Again, the world turns a blind eye to these things. It's, it's not like they were hiding it, people. You can read this on the internet. It's their constitution. The UN knows what this says. And you know what they do? Oh, nothing to see over there. They're just those, those innocent people over there, those poor and oppressed people. Do you know who they're oppressed by? They're oppressed by Hamas. Palestinians are oppressed not by Israel, they're oppressed by Hamas. Because this, Hamas's goal is not to build the Shanghai of the Middle East. Hamas's goal is this. It's this. And so this becomes the problem. It's embedded in who they are. And the world knows this, and they go, nope, Israel's the oppressor. Nope, Israel's the problem. That's what they keep doing. And so it's important to see, uh, uh, you know, um, that they're, they're, con they're their constitution, their covenant that they write about why they even exist as a party, the Hamas party. I want you to also see this. This is how Israel, this is why you don't really hear about the rockets. Because instead of just crying, Israel gets to work. These are rockets that are launched here from Gaza. You can see, this is a real picture, by the way. Launched up. Over here is called Iron Dome. Have you ever heard of Iron Dome? Iron Dome is the most sensitive 
uh, technological anti-ballistic missile system that the United States and and Israel partnered on to build together. It's got a 90% success rate so that when when Hamas launches a rocket into Israel, immediately the systems turn on. They find uh, through GPS where that rocket is heading allocates its trajectory and shoots a rocket up right next to it, explodes it, and their rocket explodes. Their rocket could cost maybe 500 to 600 bucks. Israel's rocket, the Iron Dome, one rocket could cost as much as 50 or $60,000. So think about that. So again, this is the reason. Look at all these rockets coming over. This is what Israel deals with on a daily basis. I usually go for a jog with a buddy of mine in a kibbutz in Rehovot, Israel, which is outside of Tel Aviv. And it was about 2009, 2010. We're running through an avocado field. And um, all of a sudden, this huge iron dome system is there. I said, Adi, what is this doing here? And he said, you know, the rockets, they can reach here now. Uh, and they go even further. So we need this in our town. And so, right, his home is here, and all of a sudden you'll hear a siren, and the thing goes up. Right near his home. And that's what it looks like. It's a 90% success rate. So that's how they're countering it. Just last December, I was in the Gaza envelope. I was invited by the Israeli government to come, and I was invited with a group of media, uh, Christian media from all around the world, and we got a firsthand experience of what Israel's dealing with. If you ever saw the pictures of the kibbutzes that were attacked, like Kibbutz Beri, uh, uh, this is where I am right now, actually. This is the fence that they would have flown over, the Palestinians, right over this from Gaza. That's Gaza in the background there. And again, you can see all the farm fields. That's Israeli farms over there. And so I got a tour with a general of Israel, and we're going around, and he's giving us insights as to what's going on. Um, But uh, ultimately, what the Israelis have found as they've been in Gaza, think about this, the, 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 the Palestinians, Hamas and Gaza, have dug more than 370 miles of tunnels under Gaza. Do you know that is longer? I calculated it, because I've done this drive a lot, and it drives me nuts. But the drive from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh is six hours long, five hours, depending on who has to go to the bathroom. And the Hamas dug more tunnels than it takes to get from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh. Think about that. An intricate tunnel where you can actually drive cars into them, some of them. And so when they're going through, when Israel's going through, this is in a a mosque, rocket launchers in a mosque uh, that they found, sophisticated rocket launchers. So again, this becomes the problem because Hamas loves to use, y'all, Hamas loves to use uh, the picture. Hamas knows they can't defeat the Israeli army, but they know they can beat them in the PR game. It's all PR. Bring it, bring it, Israel. Yeah, we'll launch our rockets right above a mosque and it's gonna be fantastic when you blow that mosque up and we, and the New York Times posts about it. Oh, they'll love that. Or when their leaders, I was just listening to my good friend, a Palestinian who supports Israel. He travels around. He said that what Hamas was doing, a a, a Palestinian will make $2 a day. And Hamas will come to their door and say, hey, um, if you let us build a tunnel from your house down below you, we'll pay you $50 a month. So now all of a sudden, these innocent Palestinians 
are a part of what's going on because, number one, they're destitute, they're broke, and Hamas is offering them a monthly stipend just to build a tunnel under their home. You know what they say? Build four. Build four. Go right ahead. So they're using their, 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 their people, even though, do you know Hamas is the richest terrorist organization in the world? Do you know why? We fund them. Do you know that? We fund them. We pay for it. The world pays for it. If you think for one minute that the goods that we send into Gaza are going to the hungry in the, the Palestinians, no. Do you know where the Palestinian leader for Hamas lives? He doesn't live in Gaza. He lives in Qatar in the Four Seasons while his people live in squalor. He's a multi-billionaire. They make $2 a day. And so again, Hamas needs to be destroyed. Here's another, this is a picture of some of the tunnels that the Israelis have found. Um, and these tunnels will actually go beyond the border and into Israel as well. We, we, uh, the Israelis knew that was going on for quite some time. This is uh, in, 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 in Gaza, the Hamas, they like to make sure that their people become targets. See, Israel sends rockets up to protect its people. But in Gaza, Hamas put their kids out in front to protect the leaders. This is a blockade when the Israelis were telling all the Palestinians in Gaza City, go south. This is about to become a war zone. Dropping leaflets, making phone calls, go south. What the Israeli intelligence found is that Hamas set up blockades preventing the Palestinians from going south. When the Israelis came in, they had to be the ones to open up the, uh, the road to let the Palestinians move south from Gaza City down to Rafah near the border with Egypt. They had to do it because Hamas was blocking them. Hamas wants innocent life in the war zone. Why? Click, 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 click. Here you go, New York Times. Here you go, AP. Here you go. I'm telling you, it's a PR war that Israel has to deal with. I want to I end with this and we'll take questions. If, if, you, if you'd like that. Uh, this is the thing that always is interesting about Israel. Israel will go to war. And then what you'll see is that something that happens in Israel becomes, uh, leads to the hatred of Jewish people, which is called anti-Semitism, all around the world. Look at some of these numbers. Uh, the Community Security Trust, UK anti-Semitism up 581% after October 7th. Uh, look at this over here. US anti-Semitism up 337%. Do you know that Israel, uh, Jewish people in America, 60% of religious hate crimes are against Jewish people. 60%. They are the most targeted people, but they only make up about one or two percent of our population. There's only like uh, two million Jewish people, three million Jewish people that live in the United States. They make up one percent of our population, but they are 60 percent. And that was an old 2020 stat from the FBI. This is now 337 times higher since October 7th. There has been a 211% increase in anti-Semitism um, incidents since the Israel-Hamas war began, and this is coming from the greater Toronto area in Canada. Over here, global anti-Semitism attacks rise by 500% since last year. See, when, when something happens in Israel, you know what? People always say something. It's actually a big argument. 
among the scholars of the world, the elite. It's this. There's two phrases, there's two words, anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is the hatred of Jewish people. Anti-Zionism is the hatred of the state of Israel. And what you'll hear is scholars go, hey, 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 I can hate Israel and love the Jewish people. And you'll hear Jewish people say, uh, no, you can't because it's a Jewish state. That doesn't sound right. Oh, no, I can hate Israel and love the Jewish people. And you know what you'll see? Is that whenever they have anti-Israel protests, you know what happens? Anti-Semitism. All of a sudden, you'll see a Jewish business marked. Don't go here. It's a Jewish business. All of a sudden, you'll see a rise in anti-Semitism. But what's so fascinating to me is that what's happening since October 7th with the war that's going on, have you noticed everybody in the world, everyone in the world is talking about it? It's front page news all the time. Do you remember what it says? God will gather all the nations to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And even in Zechariah, at the end of Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter 14, listen to this. It says this, a day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather all the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured. The house is ransacked. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. The Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And so it talks about this uh, amazing moment, but the idea is that the nations get drunk, it says, over Israel. They get drunk. They get high on Israel. Isn't it interesting since October 7th? I just saw a video in New Zealand where these people, these native New Zealanders, are doing their like chant that they've done for hundreds of years and they're holding an Israeli flag in support of Israel. As on the other side of the street, there are pro-Palestinian protesters. And I'm sitting there going, this is so weird that these New Zealanders are doing their chant, it's beautiful actually, and they're holding an Israeli flag in support of Israel. And on the other side of the street are New Zealanders that are pro-Palestinian. What? what? Or why are there protests about Israel and Palestinians in UK or in Paris? Why is anti-Semitism up in these places? Why, Why do people care so much country the size of New Jersey. You know, they're mourning the loss of life in the Palestinians. They say there's so many people that have died. Do you know millions of of Arab kids have been poisoned to death and killed in Syria? Are there Syrian protests? You, You know, in Sudan, Christians are being murdered by the thousands. Where are the protests? This tiny little country, this tiny country, people are having protests about it. New Zealanders are doing their chants. Parisians are doing their thing. America all over the place. Why? The nations, the nations, the nations are looking. It's so interesting to me. God is, I believe this with all my heart, pulling his attention right to Israel. He's pulling it there for a reason. And you know what? Some of it's really positive to see the great support that Israel gets from people. And some of it scares you to death. You know what scares me to death? Young adults who turn on TikTok and get their information 
from a Chinese-based company that sends an algorithm out that allows more pro-Palestinian lies than truth about Israel. This is a problem. Or in, in the very beginning of the war, do you remember when there was an attack, a bomb blew up, a rocket hit a, the, the Gaza hospital? Do you remember that? A Gaza hospital was hit, and immediately, I'm not joking with you, within minutes, the New York Times, the AP, uh, the Reuters, all of these national news organizations put out that Israel was the one that did it. And Israel's like, we did? What? what? No, we didn't. They had the proof we weren't even there. What are you talking about? They had to retract all of that. Like that, they responded. But when Israel says something, like we found 370 miles of tunnels, you know what they always say? It's purported that Israel found. What? So you're tr you mean to tell me you're trusting Hamas's words over the Israelis? You can read it. People are being drunk on these news articles, and it's, it's giving them a false reality of what's going on on the ground. It makes me nervous about what's happening. But I believe this. This is why I don't read the media and then read the Bible. I read the Bible and then I read the media. And you know what I see? In the end, God wins. Just read Zechariah 14. I left this part out for one, for one reason. Because look, the nations are coming to fight against Israel. They go out to fight. And then watch this. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Who's his feet? Oh, that's Jesus. And his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And it says in Zechariah 12 that his people, the Jewish people, will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will repent. A full repentance from the leaders of Israel, it says. From the priests of Israel, the religious leaders. From the common Israeli and their wives, it says. It's saying the whole nation will look upon him whom they have pierced. When Jesus returns and his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives, hey, look, their faith will become sight immediately. Jesus not only spiritually delivers them, but physically delivers them from the nations. We got to keep our eye out. We cannot look at the media and look at the Bible. We've got to read the Bible, be confident in God's word, and then look at the media and go, oh, yeah, yeah, okay? 